This morning we will be reading from Psalms, and we will be reading Psalm 96, and we will be reading the entire Psalm. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah? Okay. Good morning. So glad for all of you that were able to make it this morning, and uh, those of you watching online, too. Um, so glad you could be here with us. I grew up in church, and music's always been pretty important to me. Uh, I first learned to play guitar on a, a little guitar that my mom bought in Tijuana, I think, at some point. Uh, that was the first guitar I played. Uh, the first song I learned was the Battle Hymn of the Republic. I don't know if you guys know that one. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Uh, <laughs> she had a little songbook that she kept with that guitar. I don't know that you ever learned to play guitar. You just had a guitar. Uh, <laughs> after a while, I went out and bought my own guitar, uh, learned to play some other songs, and I started playing every chance I got in <clears throat> Sunday morning service, and on Wednesday nights at youth group, um, I, I love the power that music has in a worship service. For the last few years, while I was at my childhood church, before we moved here to, to Bethany, uh, I was the volunteer worship director, and I also served in the youth group, leading worship in the youth group, and uh, doing stuff with small groups, and just basically helping the youth pastor out as much as I could. Towards the end of my time there, the youth pastor uh, um, gave me the opportunity to teach for a couple of weeks. And so 
Uh, we talked about what it would look like, what would be a valuable topic for me to teach on, and so we both agreed worship would be a great one, because that's clearly something that I am passionate about. So I started preparing. Uh, I, I called my series Real Worship, which is kind of cheesy now that I think about it, but that's okay. Uh, and I, I started making slides and notes, and I got up there, and I taught for 20 minutes, and I taught about worship, and I didn't talk about singing one single time that first week. And so I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. So I went back and started working on my second lesson with the clear intention I was going to talk about singing and how that relates to worship, and I got up there, and I did the same exact thing again, and I didn't talk about singing at all. Ironically, I was the church music director without anything to say about what music's role was in worship. Uh, It's an issue trying to figure out how do worship and singing relate. They do, but, but we tend to oversimplify it, and we, we call the singing part of the service worship, even though worship goes far beyond just singing. So then why do we sing in church? Is it valuable? Is it essential? And is it, is it worship? Uh, knowing that I'm the worship pastor, you probably know that I think the answer to all those questions is yes, so <laughs> let's get started. Uh, we sing as a community. This is kind of a big idea. We sing as a community to glorify God and to root ourselves in his truth. Hopefully you have your outline in front of you. Um, go ahead and pull it out. We're going to talk about the three major roles that singing has in the life of a Christian this morning. The first is this. We sing as a form of worship expressing the significance of of who God is. We sing as worship, right? We sing as worship, and and what that looks like is expressing the significance of who God is. While worship is more than just singing, singing is a form of worship, and we see this really clearly developed, I think, in Psalm 96. The psalmist starts by commanding people to sing, commanding God's people to sing to the Lord, in verses 1, he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And then in verses 7 through 9, we see him say, Ascribe to the Lord, O families. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, the glory due his name, bringing an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. He says here, ascribe to God the glory and honor that he's due to worship him. And this is the essence of how singing and worship intersect, I think, is that we are ascribing worth to God. We're saying true things about him to him that bring him glory. This is why we sing more songs about God and who he is than our response. Our our response is important too. I don't want to diminish that. But God is far more consistent and valuable than we are. So we sing a lot of songs that describe who God is, and rejoice in who God is. That's a significant part of worship. 
Our focus today is going to primarily be about singing, but before we go further in that, I want to just take a second to expand the idea of worship a little. Because the reality is that we all are worshipers. We are created, designed to be worshipers, and as humans, we worship something, regardless of whether we believe in God or not. We all worship something. In fact, in Romans 1, Paul says that the problem with humanity is that they've rejected God, and they worship created things instead of the creator. So the question is not, do I worship? It's, what do I worship? We all worship. So what is worship? Worship is ascribing ultimate worth to anything through word or action. So you think about that question, what do I worship? What do I hold as most important? What do I see as most worthy of my, my time, my attention, my thoughts, my actions, my words? Um, even for those of us who are Christians, I think we have to wrestle with that question because it's so easy for other things to kind of seep in and take control. And one of the clearest ways that I know to find the things I struggle to worship is look at what makes me angry. When you get angry, so often it points to a false God in your life. What causes you to become angry? Follow that and you will likely see what it is that you're worshiping. I want to encourage you this week to, to spend a little time working through that. But back to our point here. What is worship and how does it relate to singing? We're going to look at two ways that um, we worship or ascribe that ultimate worth to God or to other things. Worship is ascribing ultimate worth to anything through word or action. And Romans 12, uh, yeah, Romans 12, 1 is a prime example of worship through actions. Paul says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. As those who have received the mercy of God, Paul says we are called to live our whole lives in worship to God. Not just our Sundays or our songs. Our whole lives are to be lived in worship. And so while singing has a role to play in worship, it's not the only way we worship him. Look at the way we spend our time, our talents, our energy. That's all central to worship. Every moment of our life is worship, either to God or something else. So we have to ask, what is being glorified by my actions? And then beyond actions, words is the other element here. In what way do my words ascribe worth to either God or something else? And Revelation 4 gives a great picture of words in worship. It's a picture of the throne room of God, and it says this, The 12, uh, 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It's clear from this that correctly spoken or sung words are worship as well. Through our words, when we ascribe worth to God, that's worship. Whether we're singing or talking. When we declare the, the glory or the weightiness of who God is, that's worship. But we're not only declaring it 
back to God. That is an element of it. But one thing that I think we often miss is that worship also has a horizontal aspect to it. That not only are we speaking to God in our worship, but we're declaring true things about God to the people around us. Look at Psalm 96.3. is going to come up on the screen. And it says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. And so when we sing in worship, it's not only singing words to God about who he is and about his greatness, but it is declaring his greatness to those around us who are listening. We see it really clearly in the context of the church in Colossians 3.16, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Through our singing, we're declaring truth about God to one another. If you look at the Colossians passage, we're actually teaching and admonishing each other even in our singing. You can imagine as this, as you sing, it's like you're turning to the person next to you and saying, here is the truth about God. Do you believe that, brother or sister, right? This is, this is important. We are teaching each other as we sing. That's why it's one of the important parts of the service. This is why we do responsive readings on a morning, like, well, we do it every morning, but like this morning we did Psalm 65, and you're literally having the opportunity to proclaim God's word to each other in the service. Our goal on Sunday mornings is not to simply have an encounter with God, that's good, but it's to have an encounter with God and his people as we speak the truth to each other and as we worship our Savior. But it's important to understand um, that worship and singing doesn't happen if we sing as just kind of a dry, rote thing. Like this is what we do because it's the first, you know, part of the service. And so we sing one song and then we quote some scripture and then we sing a couple songs. If, if you're just singing because, well, it's what we're supposed to do, I would say that's not really worship. If you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch while you're singing a song... That's questionable whether that's really worship. If you're contemplating anger towards someone or something as we sing, it's definitely not worship. Singing can be worship, but only when we engage our whole selves. I want to think about the example of Cain and Abel real quick. Um, Most of you probably know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel was, they were sons of Adam and Eve. Abel was a shepherd, and so he brought a lamb to God to sacrifice to God as an act of worship. And God was pleased by that. And Cain brought, was a farmer, and so he brought some of his harvest to God and, and brought that before God as an act of worship, and God was not pleased by that. And I, I don't know about you, but growing up, I always got this kind of impression like God wanted a lamb and not crops, and that was the core problem. Um, but the story never actually says that. And if you look at the law, there's a place for crops in worship of God. But the book of Hebrews, the author gives us a little bit of insight. In chapter 11, he says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift. 
the issue, as I read this, isn't the contents of the gift, but the contents of Cain himself. Abel's gift was offered in faith. Cain's was not. Singing is worship, then I would say also, when it is done in faith. When we are engaged mentally and emotionally to glorify God, if we just sing because that's what we're supposed to do, is that really worship? And I believe one of the best ways that we can combat that is by engaging our whole selves in worship. Um, Psalm 95, 6 calls people to bow down in worship. 1 Timothy 2.8 describes praying with hands lifted high. We know that King David danced before the ark, the covenant, in worship because of his joy at the presence of God. And uh, absolutely, the physical movements are not necessary in order to worship and singing, but I do think they provide us with kind of a... They ground us in what we're doing. They help us to focus, to concentrate. And these physical activities have representation. As we bow, we're humbling ourselves before God. As we raise our hands, we're surrendering surrendering ourselves to God. We're holding our hands open, our things, expressing that God can have it. As we dance or move, we're rejoicing in the goodness of God. All ways of expressing the significance of who he is. But singing is not just worship in that sense. Uh, The second role that singing has is is in prayer. We sing as a form of prayer, growing our relationship with God. Prayer at its very core is uh, communicating with God, speaking to him and receiving from him, telling him of his greatness, calling out for him to work in our lives And based on our understanding of worship, I'd say prayer is certainly worship as well. Because when we pray, we declare the greatness of God, right? When we pray, even when we ask God to intervene, we're saying something about him. We're saying that we we believe, we trust in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his power. So how do singing and prayer fit together? By singing, we communicate with God using other people's words. As many of you know, I'm an introvert, and so small talk is not easy for me. Um, When Haley was just a little baby, back uh, where we lived in California, and um, one Sunday morning, there was a new couple in church that were sitting a couple rows up from us, and Caitlin's like, you need to go say hi. They had a baby that was about the same age as Haley, and so after the service, I was like, okay, I can do it. I went up there, walk up to him, and I was like, hey, my name is Jesse, or my name is David. <laughs> yeah. Hey, my name is David. And uh, he responded by saying, hi, I'm Jesse. And I want to be clear, what I am describing to you right now is not an exaggeration or a story made for this illustration. We stared at each other for 30 seconds, and then I turned around and walked away. That's how I met my best friend in California. (laughs) Turns out we were both introverts and we were unprepared for meeting someone new that morning. (laughs) But the reality is sometimes as introverts, we just don't have words to say. I don't don't know what to say sometimes. Sometimes I'm just mentally blocked on that front. And and I can say this because some of my favorite 
people are extroverts, and I love you guys, and, and I say this in love, that while you don't ever run out of things to say, sometimes you run out of valuable things to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all joking aside, <laughs> uh, I'm confident I'm not alone in that sometimes these struggles even roll over into prayer. There are times when I don't know what to say in prayer. Songs when, times when I come to God and I'm either kind of at a loss for words or I'm trying really hard and I'm just saying a lot of stupid stuff. One of the gifts that singing plays, one of the roles that singing has in worship is giving us words for our prayer life. It's that we're able to communicate with God using other people's words. And if that maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable, I'd encourage you to just look at the example of the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. This is not something that's new to God's people. This is something that has always been a part, right? Even before Jesus was here, the Psalms were used by God's people as a method of praying to God using the words of the psalmists. When Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray, he gave the example of the Lord's Prayer. He didn't say, you know, just say whatever you're feeling at that moment. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's a place for that. But there's value to expanding our prayer vocabulary beyond what we might naturally do. And I believe one of those values is that it helps maybe catch our blind spots where we come up with language that's not natural for us because we all have different tendencies in prayer. I just spit a little bit, but it's not a problem because you guys are so far back there. <laughs> we, we all have blind spots. We all have things that we, we don't necessarily think about on a regular basis. Songs help us with that. I love the song, To the Cross I Cling. The first verse is so potent, but the words are, I'll be honest, not naturally the kind of thing I pray in my, on my own in my prayer life. Uh, no day of my life has passed that has not proved me guilty in your sight. That is a weighty statement. And the best I have to offer are filthy rags, and yet you love me. So as I sing that with you on a Sunday morning... It gives me new words to pray to my God by recognizing both my personal bent towards sin and acknowledging it in a really blunt way and also at the same time acknowledging his goodness and his love for me. Another, another one I wanted to point out was the bridge of Jesus is better. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In, all, in every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Then any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than, any, than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. And I think about these words. They might not be quite as foreign to me. This might be something I say, and yet they might not be things that I would pray at the moments when I need it most. And then I come here on a Sunday morning. We have a song like this. Maybe I'm struggling with bitterness towards some suffering, or I'm struggling with desire for comfort or 
money over Jesus. And as we come together and sing, I am forced to see this truth. And it gives me an opportunity to pray that God would correct my heart in that moment. When we sing, we are praying the words of other believers. We're expanding our prayer vocabulary in that moment and hopefully something that we use even as we are gone. The last role of singing we're going to discuss this morning is this. We sing as a form of spiritual formation, shaping our thoughts and our emotions. Spiritual formation is the process of being made more like Jesus. Think of it as training. Uh, If any of you are athletes or have been athletes in the past, you know the pain of coming to maybe the first day of practice if you did not keep yourself in shape during the offseason. I have multiple students in the youth group who run cross-country or track and field, not because they enjoy cross-country or track and field, but because they play their other sport, and they know if they don't fill up their off-season with some kind of activity, then when they get to day one of practice, they're going to be in a whole world of pain as they're trying to beat their body back into the shape that it needs to be in order to succeed at their sport. We recognize, like we, we all know that in order to be a successful athlete, you have to do that, right? Not, not only are you in pain, but you probably aren't starting anytime soon if you didn't stay in shape during the offseason. We understand that in order to be a successful athlete, you have to work and shape your body so that you can be successful. And the reality is that it's no different in our spiritual life. Paul talks about this in the book of 2 Timothy In chapter 2, he says, Then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, sharing in suffering as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned, unless he competes according to the rules. Paul's clear. The life of a Christian relies on spiritual preparation. We need to be formed and shaped spiritually, and this is an active process. The Holy Spirit is doing inside of us, and we partner with him to allow him to transform us. And the primary way historically that the church, believers, have partnered with the Holy Spirit to be transformed is through spiritual disciplines like meditating on scripture, prayer, times of silence, and singing as a community of believers. Singing has the power to form and shape us. And as a side note, this is true of all music, not just worship or Christian music. When I look back on my late teens and early 20s, I can even think of music that shaped me in not positive ways, and I know other people who feel the same way. And this isn't to say that the only music you can listen to is quote-unquote Christian music, but we should be thoughtful about what we listen to and how we consume it. Because 
we are all more easily convinced of something if we hear it in a song. Because music has a unique way of engaging our memories and our emotions. That can be a really good thing or a really bad thing. So let's talk bad first. A lighthearted example is the fact that majority of people think that the Christmas story talks about three kings coming from the Far East to bring gifts to Jesus. When the Bible actually says that an unnumbered group of magi, which most likely refers to either astrologers or some kind of a priest, come and bring three gifts to Jesus. And these magi were most likely from Persia, which is where modern-day Iran is. So, east, but not far east. The Bible gives us no indication of how many there were, but the reason that most people believe the Christmas story talks about three kings coming from the Far East to visit Jesus is because of the song, We Three Kings. It makes a big impact on you. And, and like I said, this is lighthearted, not, not a big deal. I don't think this is like opposed to what the Bible says. This isn't a problem for us. But what if the music you're listening to is teaching a story that is actually in opposition to the gospel? I think we tend to put an unhelpful focus on bad words in music when the message is far more dangerous. The message of so much music today is be yourself, choose your own path, make lots of money, have lots of sex with lots of different people, use people to accomplish whatever you want in your life. The reality is you can only listen to that so many times before you, it starts to seep into you. And even if you're like, mentally I disagree with that, your heart starts weakening to the message. I'm confident that movies, music, and media in general has had far more impact in our society's move away from biblical values than any law can or ever will. Media, movies, they, like, they shape us. But the good side of that is that music has a powerful way to shape us and so if we listen to music that reinforces what God's word says then we will be shaped positively by the music we listen to if the messages of the songs we're consuming are rooted in the truth of God then it's wonderful that these are seeping into our soul and changing us even maybe beyond what we recognize and this is how I think singing plays a significant role in spiritual formation. A song is just far more likely to stir my emotions than a sermon. A sermon has a really important place as well. So don't hear that as like mutiny from the worship pastor. Sermon, real important. <laughs> but music has a way of engaging our emotions in a different way. Um, I cry easily. That's a problem I got from my dad, so... Thank you for that. Maybe crying isn't your thing, but I think most people have had times, at least in their life, where songs have moved them emotionally, where it gets a hold of you in a way that you can't really put your finger on. You're like, I don't know why I feel that way when I hear those words, but it's doing something in me. And that's a good thing because it's important 
We're called to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and body. So to feel emotions towards Jesus, the one who, for a great price, purchased you through his blood, that's, that's a good, a right emotion to feel. To feel emotions towards God, to feel joyful for being adopted into his family, that's, that's a natural, right emotion to feel. And in a reaction against emotion-driven, empty spirituality that's not connected with God's word, I think some portions of especially evangelical church have kind of marked emotions in worship as a bad thing. But emotions, when rooted in God's truth, are beautiful. I mean, just read through the Psalms. Those things are, they are passionate. And David says things in there that most of us would not be comfortable saying in our prayer life. Both good and bad, probably. Things that he wrestles with and things where he's rejoicing. It's right to feel emotion towards God who has saved us. And music has the power to help us in that. I think all of us are, are lean towards one or two ends of a spectrum. Uh, either we tend to be like, I've got my theology right. I understand these things about God. All this, right? Like it's, it's connected up here. I've got it in my head. But what I believe does not necessarily heavily affect the way I feel. Or you can be at the other end of the spectrum and you're like, yeah, I get warm and fuzzy feelings anytime I think about Jesus or uh, when certain songs play, but you're like, I don't conceptually grasp the truths that the Bible is speaking about and that's not, uh, not a, a big thing to me, right? Like I don't spend my time and energy on that. And I think music has a way to help us with both of those things. First is this, good worship music can help our heart to catch up with our brains. If you know the truth of the gospel, that you are a sinner, you've been bought at great expense by the blood of Jesus, the God who holds the universe together, that you are loved by God, if you know those things in your mind, worship music, I believe, can help your emotions catch up with your knowledge. A song that always stirs my heart with joy and hope, gratitude, and often, if I'm honest, brings tears to my eyes, is the song, Jesus is Alive. The bridge of that song says, Hallelujah, death is undone. Hallelujah, Jesus is one. Hallelujah, the kingdom has come. Oh, in Jesus, in Jesus. That hallelujah, death is undone, is a bold statement that I... I struggle to feel the weight of in my own life. The reality is people die. Um, many of us have felt that more acutely in this last month with Matthew's death, but the reality is that at some point, every one of us is going to die. But God tells us that Jesus has won and death has been defeated, and so we do not need to fear death, but in our death, We'll be raised again with him. And so the words of this song are true, and at least for me, they provide a powerful way of engaging my emotions in a truth that should bring an emotional response. 
Death has been defeated. Death is undone. Yeah, it should be. Thank you. Yeah, that should bring an emotional response. And, and, and yet so often I think we, we know the truths. They don't sink down to a heart level. They stay up in our heads. Uh, maybe for you, you're on the other end of the spectrum. Emotion is not a problem. You've, you've got that part figured out. You love Jesus, but you just have a hard time caring about the truth of what the Bible says. I think music helps us there as well. Music can help our brains catch up with our hearts. Maybe that, that joy, that hopefulness, that love towards your Savior comes naturally for you, but good theology, accurate understanding of what the Bible says is a little tougher. Good worship music helps us there, and that's why we're really intentional about what music we sing. We want to make sure that songs teach us accurately what God's Word says. I want to give a quick example uh, from the song Man of Sorrows. The bridge of the song says this. Now my debt is paid, is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Those first two lines right there are a description of penal substitutionary atonement. And yet, you will most likely forget those words as soon as they come out of my mouth, if they're not <laughs> known to you already. But the beauty of that song gets stuck in your head. I can't tell you how many times I've had that song rolling around in my head, sinking in. And so, music can help us to learn the truth of God, too, if we're listening to songs, singing songs that speak his truth. Uh, we have a, a leadership team in our youth group, and one of the requirements for being part of that team is memorizing the books of the Bible. <laughs> the majority of the team members used kids' songs to memorize the books of the Bible because that is just simply the easiest way to do it. If you're going to memorize the books of the Bible, uh, you can probably spend, I would guess, about a quarter of the amount of time working on it just by learning a song and then singing a song to me. Most of them were not willing to actually sing the song. They just used it to memorize, and then they wanted to say them. But anyway, music has this way of helping our heart and our mind be correctly focused, correctly rooted, and that's the point. Ultimately, through worship, we direct our lives towards Jesus, the focal point of our faith. As we sing on a Sunday morning, our goal is that you would see Jesus clearly for how beautiful and wonderful he is. By singing these songs, we hope that they shape your mind and your emotions, pointing your life towards Jesus. For most of us, I don't, I don't think that the problem with faith is that we don't know the true things or even that we don't know how to apply the true things in our life. 
The problem we have is the same problem that the Israelites have. We're forgetful. We move on too quick. Music is a powerful reminder as we have messages coming at us all week that's pointing us away from the truth. When we gather on a Sunday through, through singing and through the sermon, we're refocusing, we're chipping it away at some of those lies that have been attaching to us throughout the week. And we're putting our direct focus on Jesus. And then the hope is that those songs roll around in your mind throughout the week so that as the lies come up, you have responses. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to sing together so that as a community, we might glorify God and root ourselves in his truth. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of beauty. You could have made a world that was dry and sterile, but you did not. You have been generous with us in so many ways, from, from the beauty of snow to the beauty of green trees and, man, clouds in the sky to the beauty of music. Sounds that our ears enjoy and stirs our hearts. I pray that we would not approach that gift carelessly, but that we would seek to use it, that you might be glorified and that we might be shaped, that we would take the music that we have in our services and use it, that we might grow to become more like Jesus as we focus our life on him. In Jesus' name, amen.